first reading is uh, chapter 5 of Genesis. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them, male and female, and blessed them. And he named them mankind when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. After Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Adam lived a total of 930 years, and then he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he became the father of Enosh. After he became the father of Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Seth lived a total of 912 years, and then he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he became the father of Kenan. After he became, after he became the father of Kenan, Enosh lived 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enosh lived a total of 905 years, and then he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he became the father of Mahalalel. After he became the father of Mahalalel, Kenan lived 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Kenan lived a total of 910 years and then he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he became the father of Jared. And he became the father... After he became the father of Jared, Mahalalel lived 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Mahalalel lived a total of 895 years and then he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he became the father of Enoch. After he became the father of Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Jared lived a total of 962 years, and then he died. <clears throat> when Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God then he was no more, because God took him away. When Methuselah lived, had lived 187 years, he became the father of Lamech. After he became the father of Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Methuselah lived a total of 969 years, and then he died. When Lamech lived, had lived 182 years, he had a son. He named him Noah and said, He will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands caused by the ground that the Lord had cursed. After Noah was born, Lamech lived 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Lamech lived a total of 777 years and then he died. After Noah was 500 years old, he became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And the second reading is chapter 1 of Jude. 
<coughs> Dear friends, oh sorry, up the top. Um, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, mercy, peace and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith <clears throat> that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling. And these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. <clears throat> they serve as an example of those who suffered the punishment of eternal fire. In the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority and heap abuse on celestial beings. But even the Archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Yet these people, yet these people slander whatever they do not understand. And the very things they do understand by instinct as irrational animals do, will destroy them. Woe to them, they have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These people are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm. Shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain blown along by the wind, or autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming, with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict them all and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts that they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against them. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires 
They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. Can we thank Brenda for that reading? Good job. Thank you. Oh, no, thank you. Now, Brenda, you should thank everybody for listening as well. If you'll put your hands up. That'd be great. Good morning, friends. Uh, how exciting. We have come through, well, by the end of today, we would have come through our short series in the first five chapters of Genesis called Earth. And it's my plan this morning to continue in the custom that uh, I have shared with you as I've opened some of the previous chapters, which is to invite the psalmist to be my coach. Uh, we started in the beginning with Psalm 19, which reminds us that the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim His handiwork. That as we look upon creation, it's not an infatuation with creation we seek, but a revelation of God. Uh, we considered in Psalm 8, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And so again, we pondered this God who revealed Himself in chapter 2. This morning, Psalm 139 is my coach from verse 13. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, this morning uh, as we continue in that great long list of names we heard, I've called this morning's talk Earthenware because we started with Adam, the earthling made from the earth. And now we see a line of earthenware. The line of Adam, those who will come, those who will come, those are the people that God has brought forward. And whilst they're made from the earth, the psalmist reminds us, hey, don't you forget how fearfully and wonderfully made humanity is. But here's what the psalm does really well for us and directs our attention as we read a passage such as this. As you ponder how fearfully and wonderfully made the reflection in the mirror is, where does the praise go? The praise goes to God. And that can be the trip up for us so often, hey, to undervalue or overvalue and mistakenly value. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, so the praise is yours, Lord. As we look at us, may we not become infatuated with ourselves or humanity, but may we learn of you, God. And so that's my mission this morning, as we see these many people of great years to show us God to show us God again. And so here's what I want to show you of God this morning. Here's the big idea. We are going to see this morning the God who reforms and refills. The God who reforms and refills. We have seen in previous weeks a God who forms and fills when he created an earth that was empty and void and dark. He formed it and filled it and brought rest. We continued on chapter 2, the God who forms and fills took Adam and from the body of Adam, from them he made male and female and there was life-giving partnership in that ecosystem that was his garden between God, his creation and his creature. We saw what I love, Ruth Barnes in her sermon last week in the evening called The Horror Movie. And we were all on board. It was a horror movie of Genesis 3. As the forming and filling that God had done, the forming was rejected as passion was given way to and the garden was emptied as the people were banished. And then last week as we came to Genesis 4, we saw murder. And uh, as Robin took us through the story of Cain, we saw that spirit of entitlement that came about. Where Cain, under the guise of giving God sacrifice, didn't give God sacrifice. He gave God an invoice 
He said, here's my stuff, in return you praise me. And was dirty when God didn't. Because in his entitled spirit, he forgot the God who created all. But despite the damage of the horror movie, despite the murder and all the calamity that has been already, we meet today the God who reforms and refills. So as we read Genesis 5, what are we looking at? What is this what is this piece of scripture we're looking at? Well, it's a piece of scripture that takes us backwards. Let me read it for you from verse 1. This is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created Adam, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them, and he named them Adam when they were created. Now, immediately, this passage is telling us to go back once more. Go back to the sixth day of creation. Now, shared with you previously is like in Genesis chapter 1, we're introduced with the normal wide camera angle. We see the God who creates humanity, creates his earthling in his own image. And then chapter 2 said, let's go for the close-up. And we met Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God, who was sleeves rolled up in the garden, said, let's look closely at this human. Let's understand this human in partnership. And we discovered male and female. And that was great. That was great, but now we're invited to go back again to the origin stories of humanity. We've had a wide-angle camera, we've had the close-up camera, and I'm going to suggest today we have the overhead camera. Today we look at these origins of humanity again from above, seeing a great big whole line. It's a third take on the human story. We've met the image bearer, we've met the garden worker, the one named Adam, and today we go back to Genesis 2, where we met that garden worker, and I'm going to keep my half, well, keep my promise and take you back to an odd detail that I suggested a few weeks ago I would pick up. Do you remember in Genesis 2, we're hearing about a garden, and all of a sudden we find out about the rivers that are flowing from the gardens and stuff, and then we just move on. And you go, what do I need to know that for? Let's see. Uh, as we look at the next slide here, now, I am not a cartographer. This map is not to scale, which is okay because I don't think Genesis was written to give you a geography lesson so much as again to reveal the glory of God. In Genesis 2, we hear of four headwaters that flowed from the, the river from Eden, the, the Pishon, the Gihon, the Tigris, and the Euphrates. Now, if I was to offer you a boat ride down one of these rivers, which one are you going to pick? Euphrates, that's going to be a boring boat ride. Well, who knows? Who knows what's down there? I'm going down Pishon myself. And the author encourages us down Pishon where he tells us down there, hey, there's a land of uh, gold and fragrant resin and onyx and all these sorts of details. Much to learn over there. Now, there is the Gishon. It goes past Cush and the Tigris. It goes past Ashur. And yeah, there is the Euphrates. And you can go down that river if you choose. The attention of the narrative says, look at Pishon. That's where my attention is. That's what's going on here. That's where this story is pushing. So what's the point of these rivers? The next slide might reveal that. We've all heard of family trees. 
only the theme of tree was already taken in this story. Another way that uh, ancient Jews would speak of family lines is not just with trees, but with rivers. Here we have Adam's family river. Uh, Much like the Euphrates that we don't really know much about except that it exists, how many of us forget that Adam and Eve had other sons and daughters? I was surprised, yeah, that's right. Doesn't matter. What does matter is, remember, the story's always bigger than our focus. We learn that with age. There's always a broader thing, and there's other people. Okay, great, just like the Euphrates. And we learn a little bit about two sons, Cain and Abel. And last week we heard about this Cain who was going to be a restless wanderer and who said to God, people will kill me. And God said, I'm going to put a mark on you so you'll be safe. And God did more than make him safe. God really prospered Cain. Uh, Cain would have his own family and we read a genealogy of him last week and heard of him building cities and all these sorts of things. And this is what we might call God's common grace or his providence where he looked after Cain. We know a little bit about Cain. And we heard about this other guy, Abel, on whom God favoured. When they brought their uh, sacrifices, God looked upon Abel's with favour. And you go, okay, this is great. The attention's going there. But then sadly, well, Cain killed his brother and Abel was no more. Chapter 4 ends with Adam and Eve knowing each other once more and a new son is born and his name is Seth. And so as the narrative says, look this way, take the boat ride down Pishon, God's saying to us, take the boat ride down, fam- down Adam's family line with Seth. I'm looking again with favour, despite the fall, despite the evil, despite the murder, I'm not done. I'm looking again. So what are we meant to be looking at as we read Genesis 5? Well, you'll see it right here on the slide. We're looking at the God who shows his favor again. And you'll see in Genesis 4, if we can just advance one, thanks, Philip, that when Seth was born, Eve said, God has granted me another child in the place of Abel. We're looking at the God who in the face of calamity once again looks with favor. We're looking at the God, we're looking at the God of grace. We're looking at the God who despite humanity rebelling against him, despite humanity killing humanity, God according to his grace looks with favor once more. What are we looking at? We're looking at the God of grace or as these people would have said, the God of chesed, of steadfast love, of kindness, who pushes in where love should have stopped. We see of God in this family river A God who demonstrates his hesed, his grace, his love, his kindness by his choosing. Often we think of this idea as choosing as, oh, that's weird for God to do that. No, no, no. What we should be seeing in the story of Genesis is not flowing rivers, but desolate parched land. There should be nothing. There should be death. But God, according to his hesed, his kindness, his steadfast love, his love that pushes out further. He looks again with favor. And there is this one called Seth. 
We're going to take the boat ride down the river Pishon with Seth and see how God continues to show his favor because God, despite everything that happened, is the God who reforms and refills. And here we see, shows his favor again. So that's what we're looking at. And as we're looking, what are we seeing? Well, here's what we're seeing. I think a spreadsheet tends to help things. There are kind of two kinds of people in the world, some who think spreadsheets help, some who think they don't. I think they tend to help. These are some of the numbers that you read. In blue are the heavyweight champions of age, oldest first-time dad, oldest guy. In yellow, younger ages. What are we looking at? What are we meant to see? Well, what we see is crazy numbers. And I know everyone's like, okay, Shane, explain to us the, the great old age. I don't know. Sorry, I don't know. Uh, there are many different theories. Some are like, well, they age older because they were closer to the curse and so things hadn't got as calamitous yet and whatever. Some consider that maybe the calendar was measured different and all that sort of thing. And you can think about those things, but you'd be missing some of the points. You see, the difference between zero days and one day is far more significant than one day and 900 years. If you don't believe me, you may as well toss out your computers right now because they work on the basis of there are zeros and there are ones. And the difference between not being and being is more significant than the, than the difference between being and being for a long time. What are we seeing here? What we're seeing here is great old age. Yes, that's true. But we're seeing a story play out. Now, firstly, there are others again. There are other kids. All of these guys have other kids who are unnamed. What does that say to me? It says to me, Shane, remember to stay humble as a Bible reader. Respond to the things that you do know. Take your stand in them and stay humble. The world's story is bigger. There's more going on, and some of it you don't know about, but God wants you to focus here. Come on, his boat ride, that's your core business. All right, God, let's do core business. What am I meant to see with all of these guys? Well, I'll tell you what I think we're meant to see with all of these guys. I'll explain this on the back of what we heard last week. We're seeing the story of earth to earth. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. We're seeing what in my life can be described or explained or experienced with two phrases. One phrase was, hello darling, and the other phrase was, you made it. 16 years ago, I became a parent, and it was awesome. And I never forget that uh, after Rachel gave birth to Levi, the midwife gave Levi to Rachel and she took him in her arms and the first thing she said didn't come from her brain, it just came from a maternal heart. She just looked at him and she said, hello darling. And it's beautiful, I remember, I'm, I'm in the room right now. It actually happened when Mia was born and Riley was born as well. There's just something maternal comes out of her and she says, hello darling. And it's amazing. I'm so excited about that hello darling moment I experienced with my wife as Levi was born 16 years ago. About six months later, I was also at the hospital and this was me arriving at hospital about 20 minutes after my mum had died. 
And as I walked into my mum's room, uh, the rest of the family was outside. I walked in and had a moment with her by herself. And you might have experienced this too, where you see someone who looks like the person you know, but they clearly have left. And she's gone. And uh, like Hello Darling came out of a maternal space of Rachel, as I saw my mum, the words that just came out of me was, you made it. And after watching her battle a brain tumour and all that sort of stuff and just wrestling along, but knowing that she put her faith in Jesus, I looked and I was like, you've made it. This is what we're seeing here. The hello darling moments as the son is born. And hopefully the you've made it moments. We're seeing a picture of the tension of life and death. What are we seeing here? We're seeing what we were told about in Genesis chapter 3. Thanks, Philip. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When you do this, you will depart from this beautiful world of life-giving partnership where all you've ever experienced is the good formed and filled by God. As your desire takes hold of you and you depart from faith and turn to desire, you will now know, not just cognitive, write a textbook about, you will experience what evil is. And what is evil? Well, if good is what God has formed and filled as good creator, evil is not something God creates. Evil is the distortion of God's forming and filling. Evil is distorted passion and its effects. Where I love disproportionately things and the effect that comes from that. They now know, what are we seeing in that genealogy? We're seeing good and evil. The goodness of, hello darling, and the evil of, well you still look like you, but life has left. For death is the effect of evil. What are we seeing? We're seeing God in tension. We're seeing God working in the tension of good and evil because despite the fact that people keep dying, even after seven, eight, nine hundred years, a next member is born and others as well. A next member is born and others as well. We're seeing God who even in the calamity of knowing good and evil, continuing to reform as another piece of earthenware comes about and refill as the family line continues and hope for being fruitful and multiplying continues. So that is what we are looking at. That is what we are seeing. Let us finish up by talking about where should we focus in all of this. Well, the space to focus is where the pattern in the genealogy breaks because every generation works in the same way. Just the numbers are different until we come to two men. We come to Enoch and Lamech. And in those two men, the pattern breaks, and that calls for your focus. That says, look here to see what's going on. So that's where we're going to focus. Let me ask you a quick question. Who would you rather be, Enoch or Methuselah? Let's face it, Methuselah is the heavyweight champion of the world when it comes to getting old. There's a part of me naturally goes, I want to be Methuselah. He won. He won the game of life. He did the most days, but uh, truthfully, you want to be Enoch. Enoch doesn't die. What do we know about Enoch? We know that Enoch was faithful 
And what does faith lead to? All throughout the scriptures, faith brings life. Trusting in the former and the filler. And a lack of faith, giving into desires and passions, brings death. Brings evil, brings death. So it makes sense to me that we might research Enoch a little bit. Now that's tricky to do in the Old Testament. We've got to go to the New Testament where Jude speaks of Enoch. So here is what I call the gospel according to Enoch. Jude, who I just need to tell you very quickly, quotes outside of the Bible. Okay, his two quotes are not from the Bible. This is from a first century BC Jewish writing. But because Jude, under God, co-authors with the Holy Spirit and with the closing of the canon, what we have here is the Bible, right? So he's taken wisdom and under God, we have authoritative scripture with Jude. Jude says that Enoch, who was the seventh from Adam, said this to everyone. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness. And of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. You see the theme? And they boast about themselves rather than I praise you from wonderfully created and flatter others for their own advantage. This is the good news according to Jude. He explains that God is not a God of trophies for everyone. Yeah, I know it's my soapbox issue, but I believe it's terribly destroying a society of people who are shielded from a reality when things aren't right, when things aren't to be praised, and then are shocked when someone says, You should turn around from that. You need to repent. That's not ideal. We can't praise that. God is not a God of trophies for all. God is not a God who is inclusive of evil. He loves us far too much for that. He doesn't delight in evil and death, even if it delights our passions. He delights in life and faith and life-giving partnership. He is the God who reforms and refills. And so Jude tells us about Enoch who preached great news. And it's great news to anyone here who loves social justice. In fact, it's a great news to anyone who loves justice. It's a great news to anyone who doesn't like bad things. It's great news to anyone who stands against evil. What is the great news? The great news is that we have a God who judges who condemns, who punishes and calls for the amen of his holy people when he brings down judgment, condemnation and punishment upon that which is evil. Why does he do it? Because he's a God who loves. He's the God of life-giving partnership and not the God of evil distortion that leads to death. This is the good news of God, that his heart breaks like your heart breaks when we watch the news and see awful things that we do to one another as people. His heart breaks too and he says, I will act upon this. And Enoch announced it. Now you go, whoa, that's heavy. And I feel heavy because I'm saying it to you. But again, if we move forward to Hebrews, we're told Enoch pleased God. Why? Because he trusted God. He trusted that God knew what he was doing. 
that God is the arbiter of what is good when he forms and fills and he knows what's evil and he rightly, because he loves, condemns and punishes it. A friend of mine posted what I think is quite disturbing but somewhat attractive on Facebook the other day. I'm not going to engage with it because it's just it's not the place. But the article was called When Christians Love Theology More Than People. I wanted to write, not going to. Guilty as charged. To the glory of God, guilty as charged. Because what is theology? It's the knowledge and love and faithful response to God. It's the first commandment to love the Lord your God with all your strength, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And the second is like it, to love others as yourself because theology without an ethic is incomplete. But see, this article argued that people mattered more. The beauty of knowing God and knowing him properly, having a confrontation with Yahweh Elohim and responding in faith is God in his perfect love will teach you to love the people who you would not normally love. The people who you would not normally love will not teach you necessarily to love God. We can love all people, all people, because we love God first, because he teaches us perfect love. He is the former and the filler of love, and his judgment is good news, because evil should be and needs to be condemned. Oh, wait. That's also bad news. It's bad news because I know a source of evil and you're looking at it. I am a wicked man. I am an evil man. I deserve God's condemnation. I deserve death and hell. I am fallen. And you're not different to me. And so as much as I can say it's good news that Enoch announced that God will eradicate evil, condemn it and punish it as he should because he loves. I am so grateful for the gospel according to Lamech. Because here's what Lamech says as he shows up just in time. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he had a son. He named him Noah and said, he will comfort us in the labor in the labor and painful toil of our hands caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. Now here's the problem. Uh, This closing of chapter 5 has an effect on us if we're reading carefully. It says, man, all I want to do is find out about Noah's story because I really need to hear that right now. I hope to share it with you next year sometime. Let me do a quick thing on Noah. In the midst of God's good and loving judgment where he flooded the earth because evil needs to be punished by a holy and good, just and loving God. God did an amazing thing in that he rescued a family. Here's a question that might be in your mind. If God's so loving and good, why didn't he rescue everybody? Because he's so loving and good. The right thing to do was judgment. The question is, why did God save anybody? Why is there a Seth? Why is there a Noah? Why is there an anything? Because of the Hesed 
steadfast, gracious, does not stop, does not end, continues to reform and refill love of God. In the midst of judgment came a mercy where God's favor was once again known through Noah. Of course, Noah is only looking forward to where we all delight to go, the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus, where God's justice and mercy is known. The Lord Jesus, where God's reforming and refilling is done most perfectly because in the Lord Jesus, there is justice. The Lord Jesus is not just a wimpy guy from Nazareth, He is a conquering king who will return in glory to judge the living and the dead. And he will not hand out trophies for everybody. He will condemn wickedness and award righteousness. And there will no longer be an experience of evil. The Lord Jesus is merciful God who knowing knowing the great condemnation that hovers over all people, says, no, let me rescue you. And his death on the cross is a death for me, paying all my penalty, paying all your penalty, saying, sin must be punished. Let it fall on me. Let me take the wrath of God so that you might be free because he is a God of mercy and he is a God of grace. He gives new life. He says, let me take your death. Have new life. And not just the new life of a genealogy where you're going to die again. It's no, have new life. Why can he do this? Because Jesus is the God who reforms. See, our natural case is to be in Adam, the one who lives and dies and lives and dies and lives and dies and lives and dies. Jesus is the reformed humanity, the new humanity. When you're in Christ, though this body may die, you won't die, Jesus says. You will live. You'll be like Enoch of faith and you'll be with God. To be clothed in a new body, which is wow. Jesus is the reformed humanity. He is justice. He is mercy. He is grace. He is reformation. And as we celebrate at the Pentecost, he is the refiller. Oh, do you remember when humanity was created? And from the dust of the earth, God formed the earthling. And then he breathed the breath of life into his nostrils and he became a living being. All who come to Christ and receive his grace and mercy and are reformed and are in him, God breathes his spirit into you and makes you alive that you will never die again. See, the gospel of Jesus is indeed the gospel of Enoch and the gospel of Lamech, the one who brings the judgment of evil and the wonderful comfort of the curse so that ungodly people like me Wicked people like me can be welcomed as a righteous saint before God because of Jesus. So as we finished this little excursion into the first part of Genesis, we ask ourselves, are we simply remain in this tension of good and evil, life and death, maybe even beat Methuselah, get some good runs on the board, or do we turn and trust Jesus? the one who reforms, refills, and brings eternal life 
a new beginning and a new eternity to all who put their faith in him. That's the decision before you. Let me pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus, for his reforming and his refilling of humanity. Father God, we pray now that by your Holy Spirit, you might fill all hearts and minds, that we might give a hearty amen to you and your perfect sound justice. And that we might give a hearty amen and please God to your wonderfully and freely received grace and mercy. Father, we thank you for Jesus, the new Adam in whom all, all, all can be made alive. Father God, the psalmist reminds us we are wonderfully and fearfully created and we are now sacrificially and mercifully redeemed, reformed and refilled. And so, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.